Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Merry Christmas. Uh, greetings to those that are at the Cove campus uh, watching online today. I'm just thrilled we could be together. And as we are moving into a Christmas season, how I hope your hearts are being uh, stirred and, and, and stoked with so many important things that we want to highlight and remember and focus our attention on when we get to Christmas and what the birth of Jesus means, what, what it means that a, a Savior has been, has been born to us. And so working through a, a season that the church has observed for such a long time called Advent in this arrival or coming is what that word means. And so you're preparing your hearts really for the birth. You're, uh, and although we've received that already, there is this also other part of Christ's coming again that our hearts are anticipating. And so we find ourselves in this middle space where we kind of already experienced the birth of Christ, but not yet received a second coming. And so a lot of these themes of Advent can really come to life for us, hope and peace, joy, love. And so last week we talked about hope. Uh, we lit that first candle of the Advent wreath. And I wanna, I wanna circle back. There was a moment for us as a family that we began to reflect on uh, this, with this, this idea of hope. I just wanna kind of make sure that you also are tracking with what the biblical writers want us to understand, that it's more than a wishful thinking. Uh, uh, biblical hope is more than, oh, I hope it works out. Uh, I, I hope that happens. That's, that's, that's not what the biblical writers talk about when they offer us this idea of hope. And last week we talked about this idea of hope of glory, like where our lives are really headed because of Jesus. But this hope that we have in Christ that God has given us through the gospel is a, is a hope with a certainty to it. It has a, a confidence. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a future that has been secured for us. And so the hope that we have uh, allows us to live differently in that, well, I just really, I hope this works out. Like we're really moving towards a direction in which we know the future and the certainty of it. My, my son had this moment. We, we experienced this as uh, the UPS truck uh, drove by our house. We, we call it the gift truck. He, he dropped off a package at the front door and, and we're all in the house through Thanksgiving and, and everybody's under roof and he uh, my son, my oldest son, Simon, goes and he opens the door, grabs the package, brings it in. And Jennifer and I look over and we know by the size of the package, because we've received a few of these over the last couple weeks, we know it's part of his gift. We, we know it's for him. And, and as he picks it up, he, he's kind of holding it and he takes a couple steps and he kind of like, he feels it, he kind of holds the weight up and he's like, hey, hey, is this, is this what I think it is? And we're like, hey, put that down. Like, no. <laughs> Like, like, go back to Auburn. Like, <laughs> Thanksgiving is over. Like, just, just put that down. And we're like, and you know, we kind of turn back to the TV going like, oh, great. Like, he, he knows. He knows. He knows what it is now. This, this biblical hope that the writers give us is like that. Like, Simon may not have fully experienced the gift yet, but he's touched it. Like, he knows it's in the house. And, and this is what Christmas is to return to us is like, do you know what's already in the house? Do, do you know what's waiting on us? And so when the writers are talking about hope, when we're talking about this hope that Christ's birth brings to us, it is this sense that we don't have to panic, that we may not have fully realized everything that God is bringing into our lives, but we can wait, we can be patient, we can guard our joy, we can be expectant because God keeps his promises. And what we have in Christmas and what we have with the birth of the son really just establishes everything else that we know that God is going to bring something to us and that hope says this, that tomorrow is going to be different. Tomorrow, 
is, is going to be different. That's, that's the biblical hope that we have. And so I want to move to this next theme that we have this morning. And I want to talk about something else that we get in the theme of peace. And I want to explore a passage with you as we look at Romans chapter 5. We're going to be back in Romans chapter 3 a little bit as we focus just in Romans chapter 5 on the first two verses. But I really want you to hear all five verses of Romans chapter 5, the first five, because they have all the Advent themes. They bring out hope, peace, joy, love. They're they're all right here. And I just think it's such a rich passage. So look with me, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, there it is, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. You know, Paul's, Paul's words in this, it's, he, his words spread out like a, a, a holiday, you know, feast. Like there's just, there's so much food on the table. It's more than we can eat in, in one setting and there's gonna be plenty of leftovers. And so let's be encouraged by some of these wonderful gospel truths this morning. Let's look at peace. And I want to talk about where peace comes from, what peace is, and then what comes along with peace. Where peace comes from, what what it actually is for us as God's people, and then something that also comes with it. So where does peace come from? And maybe one of the best summaries of the gospel is found in Romans chapter 3. So turn back with me just a couple chapters and look at these verses here in 21 through 25, as we get a better understanding of where our peace comes from. Verse 21, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So Paul is saying so much here. When the scriptures talk about righteousness, it's an idea that it's very similar and connected to justification. And I just love the way Tim Keller phrases this idea of one's righteousness. He says, one's righteousness is this. It's a validating performance record that opens doors. A person's righteousness is a validating performance record that opens doors. We have constructed a few resumes in our home over the last couple of years. There's a a resume that you put together to get into college. There's an application that you begin to, to craft and it involves your GPA, your ACT scores, but they also want to know other things too. They want to know your extracurricular activities. How involved were you outside of just the classroom? Are you well-rounded? Talk about your civic duties and service responsibilities and opportunities, right? There's this resume that you begin to put together and then you submit it in hopes that you would gain access to that college, that that institution would would find you worthy or uh, approve you of coming in and studying there. My, my oldest daughter also put together a, a vocational resume this past summer. She graduated college. She's looking for that first job. And she not only puts together her academic achievements, 
but she also puts her work experience, her vocational experience together too. And, and I remember us kind of arranging it. She was like, well, I'm, I'm sending this resume to this place. So these are certain kind of job related experiences that I want to highlight. I want them to see that I've done these things. And in this situation, I want them to see this, these, these kind of jobs, these opportunities, these experiences that I had in order that she would be received, right? Accepted, kind of qualified, and, and, and allowed to take on this job. And so she created these resumes with a lot of thoughtfulness so that the things that she would want people to see would be easy to find. Resumes, they're, they're a performance record. And we put them together in hopes to be seen worthy or being considered or accepted in a position. And there are so many areas of life that work like this, of, of who you are your qualifications, your performance. And these same patterns of performance help us understand what's being revealed to us in this passage here in Romans chapter three and Romans chapter five when it comes to our performance record before God. Paul says in verse 21 of Romans three, he says, but now the righteousness of God, he says, has been revealed, has been made manifest. The righteousness of God. So there's this unheard of spirituality that is now being revealed. And this is not just a good record. This is a divine righteousness that now has been made available to us by faith that comes to us, that we receive, that is placed upon us. This divine record before all the righteousness that you and I could offer is what we could create, what what, what we could accumulate, our, our good works, our good deeds, our performance. But now it says there's this different kind of record. The gospel says there's something else that you can take advantage of. Romans 14, 12 says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account at some point of ourselves to God. And so that's the question that's underlining so much of the gospel is, what will you say, what will you offer to God as a performance record to a God who is glorious and holy and perfect and sinless? What will be your record? What what will you highlight in that moment? This is what's always underneath this. How will we be accepted? And what's the rightness of our lives? before a holy God. And this is the future that awaits every person. And Romans 3 says the Jews were given the law of God. It was a gift. But as the Gentiles, everyone is in trouble. Everyone is unworthy. Everyone has the same situation, needing a performance record that opens doors, that gives us access. And no one has been worthy. No one. Until Romans 23 reminds us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a perpetuation by his blood to be received by faith. Paul's saying that you are justified when you are accepted. And Paul says this righteousness, this good record, this performance record can be yours. Christ's performance record can actually be yours by faith, that the goodness of Jesus, his life for yours, his righteousness for your sin, that he became a substitute for us, that he took and suffered what was ours on the cross so that you and I could receive something else that would make us safe and secure. This is this great exchange. And so now when we stand, as Romans 14 says, one day before God, we can say to God, I now stand before you within the righteousness of Jesus. 
when a holy God looks at us and evaluates our performance record and our resume, we can say, I stand before you in the righteousness of Jesus with his record, with his resume. And this is the end of struggle for validation. This is the end of our struggle for acceptability. It ends right here. It's it's the end of attempting to explain away our sins and our failures. There's nothing like this offered in any other religion. There's nothing like this offered in any other world. The Christian gospel is totally unique and goes against the way that the world works and goes against the way that our heart is even oriented as it evaluates what's right and what's wrong. That we could receive this record of Jesus, his righteousness. We could be justified. And that's why Romans chapter five, verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we've been justified by faith. This has happened. At this point of belief and believing in Christ, your life becomes justified. You take on the perfect performance record of Jesus. Christ's rightness His righteousness is ours, and we have peace with God now. This peace with God, um, it's it's more than circumstantial peace. It's a relational peace. It's it's something that happens when the relationships are in the right place. I think I'd bump into this every now and then. Sometimes it's Christmas Eve, and everybody's under roof, and everybody has been well-fed, and everybody's tucked in. And there's just something in my own heart that goes, Everything's, everybody's where they're supposed to be. These relationships are in the, in the right place. And this is what we begin to realize. This is what's happening. Is that's the peace. That's the rest. That there's no more work to do in our relationship with God. That we have been accepted We have been included. We're near. We're close. And there's, we often think there is so much more work to do. And we often start out in this beautiful way of receiving salvation by grace through faith. And then what happens in our lives is we begin to build some other kind of righteousness performance record where I take the gift of God in Christ as the forgiveness of my sins, but then I begin to move forward as if it's really back on me again to keep God happy. And the gospel says, you're okay. You're accepted. That you're at peace with God. God's at peace with you because of what Jesus has done. Romans 3, 26 adds a little insight into this. If you're there, just just look with me in in your scriptures. It says, it was to show, this is God, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Why did God do it like this? Why did he send Jesus? So that he would be just and he would be the justifier. This is fantastic because biblical justification says that God provides the righteous resume himself. He does it all. In the Father's love and mercy, God the Father sends God the Son to to pay the penalty of sin. He he, he pays our penalty in order that sin not go unrecognized, right? That he not be unjust. God is just because sin is dealt with by the sacrifice and suffering of his son. So God is just in sending Jesus. And at the same time, 
the Father sends the Son in love so that those who believe in the work of Jesus would be freely justified by what he does. So God gets to be just in dealing with sin and the justifier in freely giving us this grace of salvation and this grace of righteousness. Now, where are you in all of that? You're not there. This is all what God is doing. God's just and he's the justifier, which means this, that the entire act of God being for us is a God-determined act. He has self-determined to be this way to us. So that it will never be, it never, it never will be about your performance of whether God accepts you or not. It's ultimately, are you trusting by faith in this free gift that he's provided for us in Christ, his righteousness for your sin? This is what's so amazing for us. There isn't anything that we can do that will make God love us more or anything that we can do that will make God love us less. God will never be against us. Micah chapter five. Listen to what this prophet began to dream about in verse four and five. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and he shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Peace has never come to us from our abilities or from our resources, but peace comes as a person, Micah says. When we believe in everything that Jesus has done for the glory of God and for the salvation of man, we have peace. You have peace with God. You have God forever as a father and friend. And we're no longer worried about, anxious about ultimate outcomes because it's been set. It's been put into place. And this is peace with God. Verse two of Romans five. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our justification brings us peace, which leads to access. Justification brings us peace, and with peace comes access. Justification is more than just forgiveness. I think I grew up, maybe you grew up hearing this too, that justification, a way you could remember this, is justification is this, just as if I never sinned, right? Just as if I never sinned. But justification is far more than that. It includes that, but it's far more than that. Justification means access. Forgiveness means you are free to go. Justification means come closer. Forgiveness means that you were in a pit in over your head and, and God lifted you out of it. Justification means that your head would be anointed with oil and he would prepare a table for you in the midst of your enemies. It's, it's more. It's blessing. It's, it's access to be justified says that you have access to come and go freely because you have all the privileges and rights as a son or daughter of God. That's what justification is. Last year, so we, we had this amazing vacation last year and rolling into Thanksgiving this year, our kids were a little reflective of like, hey, how come we aren't doing what we did last year? Last year at Thanksgiving, uh, we had this really unique opportunity, took the whole family with Jennifer, some of other Jennifer's family, and we went to Mexico. Celebrating Thanksgiving in Mexico uh, is just a little different. You know, that nobody is preparing turkey in the same way. Uh, they're, they're the same stories, the same traditions don't quite work when you're eating a taco on the beach, you know, on, for Thanksgiving. But 
it was, it was amazing. In fact, we stayed in a resort that was one of these all-inclusive places. And I just was looking at Jennifer going like, we are ruining our children. Like we, how long did it take us to ever get to a place like this? And now, you know, we've got a teenagers, college kids, like they're experiencing something now that you're, you're really supposed to wait on something like this. But they, uh, they, they couldn't, they, they were just amazed. Everywhere they went, they were amazed because the whole resort was, was open to them. Everywhere they went. I mean, they could, they could have order chicken wings by the pool, right? The, the favorite entree that you had that night at dinner, you could have twice. They were ordering room service at one o'clock at night, right? Every, the pools were open. The ice cream parlor was open. Everything. It was all open to them. The pools, everything. And, and it all, it all was connected to this, this little bracelet. My youngest son, Tobin, he held on to his, right? He was just curious. Hey, will it, where will it work? Like, where else can I, where else can I? Can I be recognized? It was so funny. There was a moment we were outside the resort. Like we went on a little tour. We were taking a boat ride someplace and this lady was handing out sodas and he was like, I'd like a soda. And she comes over to him and she hands him a Coke and then he just opens it up and starts drinking it. I'm like, son, all of Mexico is not connected to this bracelet. She's waiting. She's really waiting on $2 from you. And he's like, oh, I, I don't know. I just, I just thought this was, I thought it was all inclusive. I, I, this was the first time I wore something that I actually wore something that opened doors. Right? This was this was the key to our room. All you had to do was kind of put your hand close to the door lock, and it, it would open up. There's enough technology in this. I was like, this is really cool. This access that we had, that was ours, because of what we wore. Let me show you something. Isaiah chapter sixty one. Verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. One of my favorite books, Rejoicing in Christ by Michael Reeves, he says this. He says, Adam and Eve were clothed in the Lord in the skin of an animal sacrifice. So Christians are clothed in Christ. He says, instead of having to face God in the fig leaves of our own effort, we appear before the Father in him. This is what we take on. This is, this is what's given to us. There is a the justi- justification. It, it is a, a bestowal of privileges and blessings. My, my dad was in the army um, earlier in his life, and I remember going through his dresser as a kid one time and finding some of his old army medals, some marksmanship or leadership medals. And I remember looking at them, playing with them. I would even kind of, you know, run them through the shirt pocket on my shirt and thought what would it be like, you know, for me, you know, to have earned these, for these awards, for these medals to be mine. This act of justification, Jesus places his medals on us. Because, the, because what's really being offered to us is more than just a clean slate with God. Justification is more than that. It's, it's as if the record of Jesus' courage, his humility, his compassion, his obedience, 
is placed upon you. That you, you get to wear that. As, and, and as the writer showed, almost like it was you were being dressed in this righteousness, that it was being placed upon you, bestowed upon you. And because of that, because of this resume that you now have being justified freely in the righteousness of Christ, you have access. You have access to hallways and corridors and a throne room that you never had before. And this is what we begin to see, that as we prepare this morning to just respond by taking the Lord's Supper, Jesus gave us this meal as a reminder of what he had done for us, of what he had achieved, so that you and I would have peace. You know, the opposite of peace is fear and worry and anxiety. You know, the scriptures, the scriptures never tell us as Christians to when we get to those places, to actually think less. It actually encourages us to think more, to think more deeply about what we really have, what's, what's really been given to us, what's truly been established, what's really been secured, because peace with God begins to move into this place of the peace of God. That it begins to change how we think. It begins to reorient the things that used to bother us, that used to bring us into great stress. When you're unsure of the security created by Jesus, when, you, when you've forgotten kind of the, what Christ has done in all of his glory to give you on, behalf, on your behalf, then you lose peace. When you begin to look at your own resume again, when you begin to focus in on your sin rather than your Savior, like all of these things begin to, to, to take our peace from us. But when we realize what God has done, when we remind ourselves of the gospel, we remind ourselves what Jesus has done and sacrificed and so secured, then all of a sudden a passage like Philippians 4 comes to life. Let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What he's saying here is this peace is so significant. What Christ has done is so profound that it will begin to reshape how you understand other life circumstances. This peace informs the others. This peace gives you insight into other circumstances. You walk into every life circumstance with this peace, with this righteousness and justification guiding you, and you see things change. You see the way you move through life different. So this morning, I just want to invite us in to a time where we remember and reflect on this great sacrifice Christ made, the one who became poor so that you and I might become rich, the one who was excluded and died on a hill outside the city so that you and I might have all access, so that we'd be more than forgiven, but we could be justified, privileged, and given rights and honors that only Jesus earned and see if it doesn't turn us into a person of worship and gratitude. Let's pray. God, this morning as we connect our hearts, I pray, connect us to this deep truth of peace. That being justified, clothed in righteousness, and at peace with God is our new framework. It's our new understanding, and it would give us insight into every other thing. 
the scriptures say, if we'll start there, if we'll let this great work of God and what Jesus did on our behalf be the place where we begin, that it would begin to shape and give us insight into everything else. So we thank you this morning for Jesus, what you've accomplished for us. We pray that as we come to a deeper place of embracing it, that it would just move within our hearts to restore and to secure and to ease. But the greatest of all of our challenges has been remedied by Jesus and now secure in him clothed in him things begin to change thank you for this peace that we have thank you for coming Jesus and establishing this for us and I pray today we would find ourselves deeply encouraged by this gospel pray this in your name